0: Welcome to City Life. Uh, we're glad that you're here this morning. You picked a good morning uh, to come to worship as we get to celebrate baptism and Lord's Supper. This is sort of an ordinance Sunday for us. You know, when you, when you read the Gospels, what you'll discover is that while Jesus taught and commanded many things, only twice did He initiate a practice for His followers to be done with, with a sign attached to it. Really only two things that Jesus gave us uh, to do in perpetuity. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he told them, he said, this is my body broken for you. And then later in that meal, he took the cup. And after giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples. And he said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And he said, as often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. That night, Jesus instituted for his followers a new practice, a meal Eating bread and drinking wine to be done by the disciples as a way of remembering him. This was something new. Up until that very moment, Jewish people had practiced the meal of Passover. It was a way of remembering God's deliverance, his exodus out of slavery in Egypt toward the promised land. But on this night, Jesus takes what the disciples were doing, that meal, and he turns it into a new meal for us. A new covenant meal, he says. The bread, his body, the cup, his blood. And he says, eat this, drink this in remembrance of me. And then after his resurrection, before Jesus departed to go back to heaven, he appears to his disciples on a mountain and he tells them, I want you guys to continue the mission. Go make disciples of all nations. And the first way that he tells them to make disciples is to baptize. Go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. When an individual hears the good news about Jesus and comes to believe that Jesus truly is the Messiah, the Son of God, they're to be baptized into the faith, plunged under the water, raised up into a new identity, what we just witnessed. The way that Jesus' disciples are to make more disciples is by baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that Jesus commanded. And so Jesus told his disciples to do these two things, to baptize new converts and to eat this meal of communion that we'll eat in a few minutes. These are really the only symbolic rituals that he gave his followers to be practiced in perpetuity. And so if you're here this morning and you've ever wondered why Christians do these things, why do they practice baptism or why do they eat those little wafers and drink from those little cups of juice or wine, you picked a great Sunday to come to City Life because we're going to talk about it this morning. Or or maybe you've grown up in the church, maybe you're familiar enough with these things so much so that you've grown aloof or detached from their significance. That happens easily, doesn't it? My hope this morning is that you'd reawaken to the wonder and the power of baptism and communion. Have you, have you ever stopped to consider why it is that Jesus gave us these things? Like, why did he tell us to baptize? It's sort of a weird thing, right? Hey, when somebody comes to believe in Jesus, take them into some water, push them down under the water, and then pull them out again. It's kind of weird. Or, hey, practice this meal where you break bread and you eat it and you drink juice and you commemorate my death until I return. Why did Jesus give us these things? I, I think it's because Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. And Jesus knows that we need tangible and tasteable reminders of his grace and his promises. And that's what the ordinances are. They are vivid and sensory expressions of the gospel. Baptism happens at the front end of one's faith journey as a first act of discipleship. This is the pattern that we see in Acts. We see it in Acts chapter two. Peter stands up in front of a big crowd. The, the, The spirit falls from heaven in power, And it assembles this crowd, and Peter preaches the gospel. And at the end of that sermon, people say, what should we do, Peter? And he says, repent. Repent of your sins. Turn from your sins. Turn from living for anything other than Jesus and believe in him. And then he says, be baptized. Immerse yourself into this identity. We see it later in Acts chapter 8 as an Ethiopian eunuch is, is traveling and he's reading the prophet Isaiah and he doesn't understand what he's reading and the Lord appoints Philip to come to this Ethiopian eunuch and Philip explains that that passage and really the whole Bible is about Jesus. That Jesus is this suffering servant that, Philip, that the eunuch is reading about. And after explaining the gospel to this Ethiopian eunuch, The next question that comes is, what prevents me from being baptized? As soon as he believes, he's baptized. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 6, he says, Are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life for if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection in in these verses the apostle paul tells us that the act of baptism conveys three realities when a person goes under the water and then rises back up out of it it portrays an event a union and a promise First, baptism conveys an event. It pictures something that has happened in history. In the the letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul explains that the most important news that has ever been told, what we refer to as the gospel, is that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That this is the most important news in the world. And when someone is baptized, what they're doing is they're reenacting this most important of news in the history of the world. When a body goes under the water, it pictures the death of Jesus. The Son of God died on a cross for our sins. He was buried in a tomb. And when a body comes out of the water, it pictures the resurrection of Jesus. And so in the act of baptism, what we just witnessed, a new believer is confessing it really happened. It really happened in history. The Son of God robed Himself in the frailty of human flesh. And He came and He lived a life, a life of perfect obedience to the Father. He lived a life that you and I could never live. And then he imposed his life for ours, dying the death that we deserved on the cross, taking the punishment for our sins upon himself. And he was buried in a tomb. And then on Sunday morning, he rose from the dead. And and so through baptism, a believer is is visually portraying the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Sometimes Christians of different denominations and and, and streams quibble over the right method of baptism. Some churches sprinkle instead of immersing, and admittedly, they have their verses to back their view up. I'm not here to raise a fuss this morning. I'll simply point out that when you look at this passage in Romans 6, that what you see is Paul saying that baptism pictures a death and a rising. that it it pictures a burial and a resurrection. And I'll be honest with you, it's hard to portray that with a few few sprinkles. Jesus went into the ground. He, He was laid into a tomb on a Friday afternoon. And then on a Sunday morning when the women went to finish his burial, the linens were found folded inside the sepulcher, but the body was not there because the Son of God had risen. And baptism pictures this reality, that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried and that he rose. It's an historical event that really happened, and baptism pictures this. But it it not only pictures a historical death and resurrection, it also pictures a union of that reality and the believer. Baptism is a union. It, It functions much the way a wedding does. When two people love each other and they decide to commit themselves to one another for life, they get married. And marriage is a public event. It's a a covenant ceremony that, that brings two people together by God in the presence of witnesses. And in the same way, baptism is the going public of one's faith in Jesus that unites an individual to Christ covenantally. There's a mystery to a wedding, right? I mean, it's a strange thing that before the ceremony happens, two people aren't married. And then they come together in this moment, and they recite some vows, and they make commitments, and they exchange some rings, and mysteriously, in that moment, God unites two people together in a covenant union, and baptism is like that. It's it's like the ring that you put on at a wedding. It's, It's not that the ring makes you married per se. But when you place that ring on your finger, it does convey to everyone that you are married. It seals the vows of your union with Christ. And baptism is like the outward symbol of the inner presence of God's spirit, who is the seal of your salvation. Paul says that to be baptized is to be buried with Christ and to be raised with Christ, that his life is now your life, that your life is hidden in him, that what's true of him is now true of you. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. This is what baptism pictures. You now live by faith in the Son of God who loves you and gave his life for you. You have been united to Christ, crucified with him, buried with him, raised with him. And this is really significant, right? That this is actually true because there will be days... When you don't feel like that's true. There will be days when it will not feel like you have been united to Jesus. Mac and Drew and B and Quincy and Ashton, there there are going to be days when you struggle to believe that your life is truly hidden in Christ. There will be days when temptation will win. And voices will speak loudly about how there is no way that you have truly been joined to Jesus. And on those days, you need to remember your baptism. John Calvin said, we must realize that at whatever time we are baptized, we are once and for all washed and purged for our whole life. Therefore, as often as we fall away, we ought to recall the memory of our baptism and fortify our mind with it that we may always be sure and confident of the forgiveness of sins. You understand what Calvin's saying? He's saying in this covenant union with Jesus, he makes commitments to you that he keeps. Look to your baptism. Martin Luther puts it even more Forcefully, he says, Hold boldly and fearlessly to your baptism and hold it up against all sins and terrors of conscience and humbly say, I know full well that I have not a single work which is pure, but I am baptized. And through my baptism, God who cannot lie has bound himself in a covenant with me, not to count my sin against me, but to slay it and blot it out. Isn't that good news? Listen, when times are hard and when faith is weak, we look to our baptism, which reminds us of our commitments to Christ, yes, but infinitely more importantly, his commitments to us. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, He will hold me fast. Your baptism is the promise. It's the assurance. It's the seal that Christ holds you. He keeps you. His word is good. He is faithful, and he is true. And this leads us into the third reality of baptism, which that it's also a promise. Baptism is a promise. Notice what Paul says. He says, we were buried with him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be united with him in the likeness of his resurrection. In other words, baptism assures us not only of forgiveness, but of new life in Christ. The one who is baptized has been raised to walk in newness of life. And this means new power for living. Do you you remember a few weeks ago in in our study of, of the Gospel of Matthew, what John the Baptist testified about Jesus? Remember John comes on as sort of a forerunner for the coming Messiah? And John had his own baptism. He was calling people to repent and prepare themselves for the one who was coming after him. But he says, hey, there's one coming after me who's greater than me. He ranks before me, for he is before me. And he says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. There's one coming, John said, who's gonna give you a greater baptism. He's gonna fill you with the very Spirit of God. And in Christ, we have that baptism. When we're baptized in water, it pictures the greater reality that we have been filled with the Holy Spirit. And what this means is that what what is true of Jesus is true of me, and what belongs to Jesus now belongs to me. And this most certainly includes for us the power to say no to sin. That's why Paul says in this same passage in Romans 6, in verse 11, he says, "'Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus.'" Reckon yourselves dead to sin. How? Because you're a new creation in Christ. You have been buried with Christ in baptism. That old self has been put into the tomb. And you have been raised to walk in newness of life. You have been filled with the Holy Spirit and sent in power to go follow Jesus. I want you to think about how significant it is that Jesus gives us these assurances at the trailhead of our discipleship journey. He doesn't wait to give us these things later. He assures us of His love, of His steadfastness, and of the power of His Spirit before we go anywhere on our Christian pilgrimage. He meets us there at the beginning in baptism. And He says, I want you to know some things that are true. I want you to have these realities as a firm anchor for your soul. Baptism is a gift given to us to immerse us in grace. And listen, every time... We witness a baptism. It's either an invitation or a reminder. Have you been baptized? Have you believed in God's Son as your Savior and Lord? Maybe today is the day you need to decide to do that. Come to the water. Be united to Jesus, who gave His life for you receive his washing the forgiveness of your sins and be filled with his spirit the bible assures us that whoever calls upon the name of the lord will be saved ephesians 1:13 tells us that when you heard the gospel of your salvation and believed that you are sealed with the holy spirit of promise do you need to receive baptism today Or maybe you need to remember your baptism. Maybe you need to be reassured this morning that your sins truly have been forgiven. Have you been living in the guilt and shame, the accusation of the enemy? You need to be reminded that at the moment you entered relationship with Jesus, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, you were baptized with fire, and that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is power to walk in newness of life. It's easy to forget that, isn't it? I think that's why Jesus also gives us not only baptism, but communion. Baptism is this one-time thing that we do at the front end of our journey with Jesus, but communion is something Jesus gave us to do over and over and over again. And I think the reason why he gave it to us as this regular practice is because he knew how much our faith would need strengthening. I think he knew how many reminders we would need that he is with us to the end of the age. If you're like me, you're prone to wander in doubt. Prone to forget the good news. Prone to lose sight of who you are in Christ. And all that belongs to you in him. And, And so Jesus gives us this way to help us remember him. He gives us bread and he says, this is my body broken for you. And he gives us the cup and he says, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. He gives us something as regular as bread and wine so that as often as we eat it, we're reminded of the gospel. And he gives us something tangible and tastable, so that we know how real, how palpable his love is for us. And so that we would know that as inseparable as consumed bread and wine are from the body, that to that extent Jesus has enmeshed himself with us by his spirit. He wanted his disciples to know and be ongoingly assured of his presence and his love, that he is with them. Communion is this meal that nourishes our faith and strengthens us to live as his disciples. I think that sometimes, at least in the tradition I grew up in, we can get communion a little sideways. The way I grew up, we would, one, we only took it like once a quarter on a Sunday night. Like Jesus said, do this often. We made it as obscure as possible. I don't understand that. But two, we would, we would take it and I think the attempt was to make it Holy. To make the moment serious, but it became this morbid introspection, this time where we felt like we had to confess every single sin that we could think of before we could take the meal. And so we would spend long minutes getting right with God. Now, certainly that's not a bad thing, except that I began to spend so much time examining myself that I forgot to put my eyes on Jesus, which is the whole point of the meal. Yes, the Apostle Paul instructs us in the book of 1 Corinthians to to examine our hearts before we partake in the meal, lest we take it in an unholy manner. We shouldn't take the Lord's Supper lightly. But listen to me, as Robert Murray McShane puts it, he says, for every one look itself, take 10 looks at Christ. That's what the supper's for. It's to help you take 10 looks at Jesus, to look upon Him, to, to taste Him, to drink Him in. This meal is for doubting and dabbling disciples. If you walked in here this morning feeling imperfect, feeling like a failure, feeling like you don't have what it takes, feeling like you don't measure up, you qualify. The meal's for you. It's for weary sinners who need replenishment. It's for those who have forgotten their baptism. Jesus says, come to the table. I love how the prophet Isaiah says that he says, "Come, everyone who is thirsty, come. You without money, come and eat. Come buy wine without cost and eat what is good, and you will enjoy the choicest of foods." God is saying to you this morning, "Come, come to the table. I want to meet you here. I want to nourish your soul. I want to remind you of the gospel. I want to feed you. I want to satisfy you. Jesus is the richest of foods." He is the bread of life come down from heaven. And he offers himself to be consumed without payment. Jesus paid it all so that he could give himself freely, his life given for you, a touchable, tasteable expression of his presence and his love. That's what the meal is. That's what it's for. And so if you find yourself here this morning, Feeling broken, feeling sinful, feeling needy, feeling like you don't measure up, feeling disappointed that at this point in your faith journey, you're not further along than you are. Wishing that, that sanctification was a lot more linear than it is. Jesus says, meet me at the table. I want to feed you. I want to help you. I want to nourish you. And so I want to invite us to come this morning. Let me pray for us. And then we're going to partake in this meal.